You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. Folks, as much as we don't like to face it, failure is an integral part of the process to success in life. We all know this, we're told this, we experience it, but it still doesn't make it easy to accept it when we fall down, when we fail. My guest today is Dr. Pierre McDonough. He has written a magnificent book called Beauty for Ashes, The Virtuous Side of Failure, in which he details, well, the literal beauty of failing. It's chock full of examples, both personal and from historical heroes. Uh, it's well-written, well-researched book. I don't want to say an easy read because it's uh, it's eloquent, you know, uh, um, but it it is a smooth read. Let's put it that way. Uh, you don't want to put it down. And you wouldn't think that Dr. Madonna knew anything about failure when you look at his credentials before reading the book. He was a college athlete. He's a former United States Air Force veteran former stockbroker, eventually making his way to law school and moving over to the regulatory side of financial services. He's a father of four. So much to discuss here. He joins me now from London, England. Welcome, Dr. Pierre McDonough. Thank you. Well, let's dive right in to the book. Um, at the beginning, when you talk about the nature of failure, the power of it, the culture of it, the definition of it, and you, you talk some about your story. I know that you tell your story more at the end of the book, but you 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 give us some details, some glances at the beginning, namely vis-a-vis -vis your, your older brother, uh, where he was he's only a year older, but he's the one getting all the attention. He's the one that's seen as the successful one. You had some failures early on in school, which obviously you've made up for later on in life. And uh, there was one thing that stuck out to me in that beginning portion where you were starting to turn it around. You had an architectural project or something. You had made like an A-frame house and it was going to win an award or it won an award and you it took you like a year to do it. You bring it home and your parents didn't really acknowledge it like you thought they should. Your mom, yeah. your mom let your, I guess your, your younger siblings use it as a dollhouse. You took it to your dad's. He stuck it in the basement. How much did your early experiences impact you and even serve as a catalyst for all the successes you've now had in life. How much of that was the motivating factor for doing all that you did that you wound up doing where you are now? I would say most of it. Um, uh, and now in, in hindsight, in a bit of a toxic way, because we find motivation from um, negative as well as positive experiences and sources and drivers. And unfortunately, I think, throughout the course of my life, it was largely negative. It's always sort of a, I'll show you, or, you know, I'm going to prove this to you and, and things like that. And, and that drives us to really work hard. We get rejected, we get marginalized. And we think, you know, if, if we double down, work harder, if we, if we satisfy the expectations of others, um, they'll, they'll look back and, and realize they made a mistake. But, um, that experience that you you mentioned from the book, it was like um, one of many where I felt hard pressed to get their attention. Um, it wasn't conscious to me at the time, but it was more like maybe my project wasn't good enough. Maybe I should have 
you know, got done it faster or gotten a better grade or whatever the case may be. So you didn't realize, you know, especially as a kid, that there's a significant value there. And there's a creativity there. There's a thing. You, you're you're right on track doing what you're supposed to be doing. You just keep thinking that I didn't get the feeling or the experience or the accolades because maybe I, I should have did it this way or that way. And 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 you discount your efforts and attempts as if they just were rubbish. But when I look back on that project, I, I, I'm still amazed by it today <laughs> that I did that. <laughs> I did that as a ninth grader. And and it was so good. And my father actually, he did say, um, and I felt like he was just humoring me at the time. He said that when he retires, he wants to build that house as his retirement home. <laughs> but the fact that it sat in the basement with, you know, car batteries and tires on it, you know, I'm like, maybe he was just humoring me. <laughs> so, how do you, yeah, go ahead. How do you think it would have turned out? How do you think your life would have turned out differently if, they had been more, let's say, encouraging or, you know, like, wow, you did this project. And I mean, not just that one project, but all, your whole story all throughout, if they had been more supportive and promoting the thing, the positive things you were doing, how do you, how do you think, do you think you still would have been the same person? I guess what I'm getting at is, are you in a way grateful that it, it sort of challenged you to, to prove yourself? I am. I, I think I went through a period because you love your parents, right? And, right. and your family. And, and I think you go through a period where you want to rationalize or justify whatever happened. So even if you got a, a, a beating and corporal punishment was big in those days, you felt I deserved it, I needed it, or I learned something from it. And you would keep rationalizing and justifying. And I think that um, when you say if it was different, if there were, if it was more encouraging environment, you know, um, I think it would have went straight to my confidence and my ability and myself. Um, the experience that I had, it's almost as if I was constantly given opportunity, which which was in, unique in and of itself, right? I was constantly being invited into the room, but then I would never make it out of the room successful. Hmm. I was in competitions. I would I, I I made it into you know a high level of of college sports. I. You know, I, I kept getting into these situations, but I just I, I wouldn't I would get into the program, but I wouldn't graduate. Mm. And that's what struck me as odd as a as a teenager and was very frustrating. And it was as if I was putting in the work, but I wasn't getting the reward. And I think if I had that encouragement and that confidence that came with it with people behind you, yeah, um, it would have made a huge difference in terms of me being a finisher, for lack of a better term. Uh, we'll talk about the importance of narrative that we tell ourselves and other people. You know, you were talking, you again, at, towards the beginning of the book, you talk about, you know, if you're good at math, but you're a bad writer, you know, what, what do you tell people? You don't tell people that you're a bad writer, not normally. Um, and that we, about the narrative that we must not let failures define our identity. But then again, the purpose of the book is to acknowledge the beauty and necessity of failure. My, my question is essentially this. How do we incorporate our failures into our story? How do we do it in a way in which, on the one hand, we, we take pride at getting up after our failure, but on the other, we don't let ourselves be defined by the mishaps and the mistakes and the, the attempts that are made in which we fail? How do we work failure appropriately into our story? It's funny that you say that. There was a basketball game recently. I didn't watch it, but I saw the highlights, and it was that the Greek player, Aten Kempo, and they had lost. 
And they were asking him, why did he, what happened? And he just was explaining that this is how it looks. This is how it works. He said, we don't just wake up and win. He said, we go through iterations over time and it hones and develops us and we become things. And he gave this really amazing explanation. I, I felt like I should send him a copy of the but it sounds like he already <laughs> understood, you know, the principle. But the first part of your question tied to narrative, that to me is the key feature of all of this and understanding all of this is what you tell yourself every single day. And we're going to have a range of experiences. We're gonna fail, we're gonna win, we're gonna, we're gonna pass the test, we're gonna blow it on some things. And what matters is not the experiences that we have, but what we tell ourselves as part of our story in terms of what we just did. Mm -hmm. So if we did something, it's almost as if we're constantly failing and winning simultaneously. There's a part in the book that I refer to, I think, of a theory called open systems theory. Mm -hmm. And it's a way of, well, it's not a way, it's how biologically we move through life iteratively uh, uh, testing an, our environment, drawing feedback from our environment, processing the feedback and correcting our course. That's predicated on failure because we don't move in a straight line to our objectives and goals. Mm. We're constantly wiggling our way through a, a precarious unknown space mm. and constantly checking, is this food okay? Is this air okay? Is this water okay? And sometimes it's not and we drop dead. Sometimes we get <laughs> sick. Sometimes we fall off a cliff or a ledge or whatever the case may be. Sometimes we find a pot of gold. It's like, it, 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 but it's iterative and we're constantly yeah. moving through and taking in. And the main thing is we're taking in information from the environment and processing that information. Sometimes religion, tradition, things like culture interfere with the interpretation of the information we take in. And it colors our judgment and our what we tell ourselves that we're experiencing and and drives us into a corner or it can e equally liberate us depending on the philosophy that's driving us forward so all these things we're incorporating into our way forward and it's sort of incorporating the failure is built into it and the issue is if you try to avoid oh, i'm never going to fail then you're never going to try and you're never going to succeed and you won't move forward and you'll just sit there and stagnate and die and yep. that, that that's what i'm trying to get across well, what do you say about you do bring up we won't we won't go political, but uh, you do bring up Trump in Trump in the book. And, you know, he won't admit any failure, even though he, he won't even admit he lost the election. And but look uh, what's happened. Well, and, but he's still got 40 percent of the country that uh, that see, are the, probably going to vote for him. The thing I would say about that is it's not a question of the the objective experience or the external experience it's the subjective experience that determines our development right so it's not whether someone thinks i'm successful it's what i think of myself it's not what somebody says about me but what i say about me that mm -hmm. matters and that's what makes me who i am or what i'm not going to be and people seem to have different ways of defining success and failure so as a politician, they keep talking about his popularity or how many people are in his corner, who agrees with him, and et cetera. But then when you look at the way his life is and his state of general happiness and well-being and health and things like that, the question is, well, what, what do you care about? Do you want to be publicly accepted or do you want to be healthy, happy, and well-adjusted? Right. So the issue becomes, how are you evaluating success internally, uh, objectively, or subjectively? Yeah. Um, talk a bit 
about the section in the book, uh, all wins are not winning and all losses are not losing. I, I know you, you discuss uh, Pyrrhic victories where the price of victory is more costly than it's worth and, and the dangers of a, a win at all costs mentality. What else should we take away from, from that examination, that part of the book? Well, I just think it's important to know, very much like the, the, what we just mentioned with, with respect to Trump, is that just because you cross the line doesn't mean you win. And just because you don't cross the line didn't mean you lost. It just what really I think it comes down to. And first of all, I think winning success is subjective. Yeah, I think it's defined by the individual. And I think if you got out of it what you wanted to get out of it when you got in it, you won. Not yeah. whether your family thought it was good or your culture or tradition or where your religion thought what you did was successful. It was, it's what did you think? Yeah. What did you come away? How did you develop from that experience? And that's what I was getting across with all wins is sometimes we have to look past the objective expression of the success and say, did I come away with something like the coach? Coach K, I think I called her in the story. The, the UCLA gymnastics coach. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And she was doing things the traditional way, which appeared on the outside to be successful, but she was having a horrible uh, interaction from the players. And she could have just as easily said to herself, well, I'm doing it the right way and kind of ignored everyone. Or she could have just deconstructed her approach, subjectively understanding she's not getting the connection she needs mm. to be really world-class. Yeah. And the minute she she turns away from those methods and starts to become open to people's humanity, which is not considered successful by society. Nobody gives a crap about these things. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, you get this peak performance as a result. And now she might think that's successful, but the world might say, but what about the principles and the philosophies? And she doesn't care. Yeah. you know. And that's what I mean. Sometimes in order to win, we have to step back from what we think or what people say it is. And sometimes it might look like a loss. For mm. me, it was backing away from things that just weren't working for me, like sports. I realized yeah. that, you know, I heard some strange statistic that the amount of kids that make it to professional sports versus the kids who dedicate hundreds of thousands of hours to it is, is crazy. And those kids who dedicated all that time to it end up working at the car wash, doing nothing. Meanwhile, by stepping away, you could just be an ordinary person, a doctor, a lawyer, and have an extremely good living and life for yourself. Or you can chase this thing down the rabbit hole and end up nowhere. Mm -hmm. And even Alan Iverson, I don't know if you heard that story about where he was, some guy begging in a shopping mall uh, parking lot. And when the security came, it was him. And they realized that he had just gone broke. But luckily, he had some some fun through one of his endorsement companies, and he turned out okay. But the idea is that this guy was like the number two or three player in the NBA, yeah. and even winning yeah. didn't help. It didn't yeah. matter. And you see so many of these stories. It's why I walked away from the practice of law. I actually practiced securities law. We 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 were in uh, similar areas. I, I worked for a large firm in Birmingham, and you know by all accounts on paper it was pretty a successful life you know I'm, I'm working for a large firm in birmingham we rep we represented large banks in the southeast and uh but i wasn't happy <laughs> and uh you know for me it, w it wasn't a success at all yeah sure i had a big paycheck and uh 
the prestige of being an attorney at a big firm. But I sort of woke up one day and said that this is not the life for me and walked away from it. I mean, it was the life for some people, but for me, it wasn't. Um, and and I, that's I, why it's subjective. It's your decision, not theirs. Yeah. And that's when I started to really find inner peace and happiness is when I, I started deciding that I'm going to do it for me and not for what it's not for other people, not for what I'm supposed to. I'm going to go be a lawyer because I'm supposed to be a lawyer, you know, and, uh, you know, because I did. I probably went to law school because that was the expectation. I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer and I don't like blood and guts. So law, you know, law it was. But uh, I, I had my fill of that and I'm I'm happy I walked away. But how how it, often do you see this in relationships, too? You know, I feel yeah. like, you know, to refer to this as insert guy here. You see the family picture. And sometimes people take this approach to relationships like, all I need is a guy or a girl to stick in this and fill out the picture. But it's like, no, it's not what. And who are you doing this for, your family or yourself? Or it's weird. I did that, too. I mean, I had a relationship with someone with the uh, the trophy girl. And yeah. uh, and, and supposed to do. right. And thankfully, it didn't work out because it, it would have been a disaster, honestly. Um, but by the way, do you watch the show Ted Lasso? I have not. People keep telling me about it, but You've I have got to because it, it fits everything you've said. You, I, I, I swear you could have written the show. It's a terrific show. Um, that's just a little tangent there. I, I want to get some questions before we run out of time. I want to ask you about the courage to admit you're wrong and courage to take the hit sections of uh, the chapter in the book that's courage to find strength through pain and failure. How do we know when to walk away? That is, let's say it's a business or a relationship. And how do we determine it's time to just abandon the pursuit of this particular dream? It's just not working out. It's just failure after failure. I mean, we shouldn't give up after the first failure. You know, if if Steve Jobs, you know, later on in the book, you talk about Steve Jobs and you talk about uh, Michael Jordan didn't make his high school basketball team. You know, if they gave up, then they wouldn't be who they became. But yeah. at what point do we say this is not happening? The failures just keep stacking up. How do we know when to walk away? I think it's not feeding your spirit. It's not it's not doing anything for you. I mean, my own example, I, you know, when I was in the second year of college, uh, I kept I was failing across the board. I had a horrible GPA. I'd probably as low as I could get. And I was still getting tons and tons of recruitment letters. <clears throat> it was a two year program from other programs that were four year schools that wanted me to play. And I remember coming back from a tournament on the team bus, looking at all this mail and I got excited at first, but then I thought to myself, why do these people want me to come join their program if I'm failing everything? And I thought they just want to exploit me for another two years to fill up their gym. And then I spin off and work in the back to the car wash. And I was like, no. I, and that's when I realized I quit. I'm not playing basketball anymore because it's not about me. Mm. And it was the same thing. If you look at the Michael Jordan example, the Steve Jobs example, on the flip side, they weren't failing because they weren't satisfied. They were failing because other people deemed them not good enough. Mm. And they knew they were. And it was the same thing with Steve Jobs. He created that whole program. And because they didn't like his Buddhist background or his walking around barefoot and not wearing a tie, he wasn't good enough. And he knew that that had nothing to do with what he was trying to express. Michael Jordan knew he was good enough. And whatever the needs of the team were, weren't satisfactory. So they marginalized him. So it's really funny. Like, they knew to stick it out because it wasn't about them. I knew the run because it wasn't about me. 
Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's the same thing on both sides. Yeah. But that's when you know to stick it out or run away. Is it about you? Is it tied to your story? Yeah. I love what you said at the beginning where you said, you know, is it still feeding your spirit? You know, I think that's it. And, you you know, that's kind of you need it. Uh, you need that. Well, uh, Pierre, in every episode, almost every episode, I try to do a segment called Five Minutes Zen. I try to give the listener some practical advice, something that they can think about for five minutes and hopefully implement in their day and in their lives. So here's my question for you. How can we reframe our perspective on failure to see it as an opportunity for growth? Because when we fail, it's hard to see it that way. Uh, in, in other words, what advice would you give someone who is struggling to see the beauty in their own failures? And and how can we develop resilience? How can we cultivate resilience in order to bounce back from failure? Well, the one thing I've, I've always, a little silly saying is when you lose, don't lose the lesson. Um, I would say that's critical for me. And the more you meditate on that, I think about that, the, the broader it becomes meaningful to the individual. But it, it is exactly what it says, is that when you lose, Rather than going to this place of letdown, go to a place of um, understanding. Mm. Also, if you're in the habit of beating yourself up, and that usually comes from somewhere in the book I mentioned about um, the kind of person you'll be based off how you were raised and how people experience things, and they they kind of beat you up about stuff a lot, you begin to beat yourself up a lot. Um, try to not do that. Like, don't go straight to that automatic place. And I know how difficult that is, especially if that's how you're acclimated and beating yourself up. But try to forestall that and understand, um, is this my failure? Like the mm -hmm. Steve Jobs, Michael Jordan thing. Is this, um, you know, uh, what was the lesson here? What should I do differently next time? Uh, plan that when I was applying to law school, I blew it on the LSAT. And I that first year I applied to five schools and I and I decided in my failure, I'm never going to stop doing this till I get what I need on the LSAT. So I reapplied the next year and I just kept doing it until I got accepted. Decide you're going to get to where you're going to get to rather than if and then make the changes you need to get there. It's a different mindset, but but it's, it's attainable. It's amazing how much I relate to your story. I uh the same thing happened to me. I actually gave a, a it's called a real voices talk. It's sort of a counter to Ted TEDx talks, uh, but um, I, it's they're shorter, five minutes. But I gave one on where I the theme of it was belief, believe in yourself. And I I talked about the first year I applied to law school. I because I had a master's degree and I did okay on the LSAT. I applied to Columbia, uh, you know, George Washington, uh, maybe Boston <laughs> College. I can't remember, but I was zero and eight. I got eight rejection letters <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? Like my safety school was temple and I got on the waiting list. And then in August, which when it's way too late to apply anywhere else, they're like, nah, you're not coming here either. And uh, so I was over eight and it just, it just fired me up. And I'm like, you know what? I'll wait, yeah. a whole, I'll wait a whole nother year. I'll apply. And so the next year I did a whole new batch of schools and I was eight. No, I got I got into all of them. I got into Michigan State. I got into uh, I went to Syracuse. I, I, Louis, I got into Louisville. Anyway, it doesn't matter where I got in. I I just wasn't giving up and I believed I could do it. And, you know, I was determined and patient. You talk about patience in the book as well. And I, I was just patient. I'm just I'm going to do this. So and that that's the that's the mindset is you have to decide I'm going to do this thing because what else am I going to do? I got. <laughs> 70 so it is the average age of death is like 74 i got a bunch of years what am i gonna do right. <laughs> i might 
doing this because it's, it's going to eventually work out for me. And a lot of more people than you would imagine don't understand that. They hit yeah. something once, blow it, and then they're like, ah, I figured as much. And they walk away. Yeah, and that's I, the end of that. Yeah. Too many people give up too early. Um, well, uh, Pierre, where can people find the book? I, the book is at uh, FultonBooks.com. And I, I have a, a, a copy of it. I mean, I, I know people won't see this, but this is the actual book. But um, it's uh, FultonBooks.com okay. and different uh, electronic as well as physical outlets where you can you can order the book. Yeah, I'll put Fulton Books. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes so that people can order it through them directly. Well, folks, that is it. Go get Beauty for Ashes by Dr. Pierre McDonough. After you do that, go get the book first. After you do that, you can help this show be a success and not a failure with just a small donation of five bucks or any amount that works for you. It all helps keep the show going. Um, you can find out how to do that at zensandwich.com at the top of the page. Dr. Pierre, it uh, really is a terrific book. I really enjoyed it. And it, it had a substantial impact on me while I was reading it. Seriously. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me very much. I appreciate it.